0: this episode of Sex and Healing. But life isn't
1: rich and full and meaningful and juicy and like they're communicating because they've got these masks up, but that's not my life. That's not my story because it got so bad.
0: And something else that I really noticed is that addiction becomes obvious in your life when the mechanics that you've set up to get your needs met are no longer available to you if they're available to you and you've got the money to be doing coke all weekend or if you can be having a drink in a social setting or a work-related setting and it's socially acceptable you may not even realize or you probably do and you're in denial of it that there's a problem under here I developed my own life to a place where I feel satisfied, where I love myself, where I'm connected with nature, where I'm living in alignment with who I am, then I'm at a more elevated state than the drugs and the drugs bring me down. And so after that, I was like, I don't need these drugs. Like I can experience such open heartedness through my connection with the divine and I can draw other people into that experience as if we're on drugs. Welcome back to the Sex and Healing Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Kiner, and thank you so much for joining me as we take this wild ride together through the realms of sex and healing. Today, we have a wonderful guest who I had the fantastic privilege of being on her podcast, and now I've invited her to come and share her wisdom on my podcast. We have the amazing Kylie from A Meaningful Life by Design. Welcome, Kylie. Thank you, Erin. It is such a pleasure. It was
1: such a joy to have you on my podcast. The conversation was so rich and I just love the opportunity to continue that. And um, yeah, very excited to be here. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I was so excited that the universe gods, the universe, the the Instagram algorithm gods brought us (laughs) together. (laughs) You know, we're two Australians (laughs) sitting in Bali. We hadn't crossed Mm. paths. I don't know if we've got too much of a shared network, but When you Mm. reached out, I got to have a look at the content that you share Mm. and it really touched me as very authentic and very valuable Mm. around the world of addiction, which is something that as you and I know Mm. firsthand is very impactful in someone's life and has, Mm. you know, it's something that has touched each of us, whether personally or someone in our circle. So I'd love for you to just introduce yourself a little bit and share with my audience what it is that you do. Yeah, sure, absolutely.
1: So um, I have several businesses, um, you know, I've kind of been <laughs> on the entrepreneurial journey the um, as well as at the corporate career before that. But really where I focus my energy is attention and love right now is on a meaningful life by design and from here on. And that is a combination of a meaningful life by design, more mindset coaching. So whether you're coming specifically from addiction, uh, from um uh, you know whatever you need to do to live a more mindful, intentional, meaningful life. That's where that's where we focus the energy. Particularly people who are looking to bring their unique gifts to the world in a more meaningful way. So mm. around career transitions, and then now the bulk of my work that I've moved into quite naturally because it complements my own um, journey and. Um, the academic studies is recovery coaching and that is recovery coaching from uh, complex trauma and addictions. So um, alcoholism, sex addiction, um, could be drug addiction. Addiction is the you know, it's 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 a mental disease. It's a chronic, relaxing disorder. It's very complex. Um, it's the it is the, it is ultimately the symptom. So it doesn't matter if someone's picking up sex or love or you know booze or you know whatever they're trying to get their hands on um, mm-hmm. to kind of fill that void or pathologically soothe soothe that deep wound. Um, we can work together on, and through the same process to recover from also what is trying to get this all into a nice little paragraph ultimately beginning some complex trauma
0: yeah, yeah. it's yeah. a lot isn't it it's a very multi-faceted mm. thing and so for those people that are mm. listening that haven't heard much of my personal story I have overcome an addiction in my life I, when I was in my very early 20s I struggled with an ice addiction and I got to the point that I was using every day and I was smoking ice to get out of bed in the morning and I feel very lucky to have this inner determination. It was the same thing that got me in there, that got me out of there actually, this inner resolve to, I had a knowing that this wasn't me and it wasn't my people mm. and it wasn't it wasn't my world. But at that age I knew so little about self-empowerment and mm. that the fact that I'm creating my own reality. So I was just kind of going deeper and deeper and deeper into this hole that mm. I didn't have, healthy and supportive relationships around me who were who were able to witness that decline but I'm very very grateful to have got myself out of it and I'm grateful to have gone through that experience to witness some of the darker sides of reality of society of relationships of the pain that everyone in that world was carrying but also to find that resolve inside of myself that I've got this ability to overcome so I'd love to know what your personal story is with addiction as well.
1: Yeah, and I mean, there's so much that you've um, you've mentioned there that are you know that that really touched me and that I would like to to comment on. So, do you, yeah, do you want do you want me to start with you know my personal story in addiction because yeah, it's a bit of a weird great. and wacky one, really, mm-hmm. um, because um, there's no so. And I struggled to really relate with being an addict because there were none of those typical precursors. Mm-hmm. Seemingly, none of those typical precursors. And I became what was what is termed a high-functioning addict, which mm-hmm. is a bit of a um, ironic term when you really understand the depths of it. Because you know, what is functioning externally to the world, but really internally, you're broken. Mm-hmm. But my story was, um, you know, I had a few things growing up. So I had so from the outside, the family looked perfect you know, mm-hmm. you know, you have the, the Simpsons family and they're like dysfunctional and you have the Flanders family on the perfect <laughs> and the dad's got a moustache, like, ugly, ugly. That was like my family. So it all looked perfect <laughs> and um, perfect childhood. In fact, in fact, I went to these, I do these, when I was doing these, I was doing these rehabs because I, I was falling into these crazy alcoholic holes and they're going to rehab, but mm-hmm. not understanding why. And I'd be in these group therapies with, with with people who've just had so much trauma mm-hmm. and I'd be like, are they going to say go home, princess? You don't really have anything mm-hmm. to, to to deal with. I like, couldn't work out why I was an addict So, and it didn't come straight away. So I had an eating disorder when I was 19, like mm-hmm. got over that out of pure resolve. I was like, <laughs> nah, I'm going to die if I keep doing this. I can I can find a way out, even if it feels horrible and I feel fat-eating. I'm stronger than this, I'm more determined, you know? Mm-hmm. And I found my way out of that. That worked to my disadvantage in some ways. Then a workaholic, um, party girl, you know, live larger than life, but still I abused substances, but I wasn't, I wasn't an addict. Mm-hmm. So there is a spectrum um, of alcohol use disorder, free-speaking alcohol, or any substance use disorder from mild to moderate and there's a point where the neurology changes so you can be a heavy drinker and you can abuse and not actually fundamentally change your neurology and then there's a point where it changes and you can never go back to moderate usage Mm -hmm. so I was so not this oh I had a drink my first drink and oh it was pleased it was like kind of like the feeling of booze but it was never a problem until my um kind of me early to mid 30s and I was in a relationship. Um, I was in get so when the outsider looks perfect, a new podcast a new business and a fiance and an oceanfront place. And um he had a daughter who didn't accept me. He traveled a lot, my friends were all off going, having children. I don't want to sound like poor me victim, but this is this was my story that contributed yes. to my problem, that mindset, yes. you know. And um and I felt desperately alone. And it basically ripped the Band-Aid off some complex trauma from early childhood that I just totally blocked out. Some significant stuff around abandonment, feeling incredibly alone, feeling incredibly unloved. Mm-hmm. And the partying and excess, I tipped over first thing to a physical addiction so that I drink so much that I wake up the next morning and I had the shakes and a morning drink would help. Mm-hmm. so I got the physical addiction I got the kind of psychological condition condition as well now I was super healthy by the way so I like I was drinking green juices and doing sunsets, you know run, morning runs and meditation and self-care and career coaching and consulting and I wouldn't drink for months and then I'd start and once I started I couldn't stop mm-hmm. and then I kind of and it just kept going this loop and it just got darker and then you know the Man that I loved, I was supposed to marry, he canceled the wedding. We got back together, he canceled the wedding again. There was just there were there were times where I had bottles. I go on these two-week like benders where my mind is just, and this is what happens in addiction, because what's in the normal functioning, healthy reward centers of the brain in severe addiction moves into the mammalian part of the brain. And once that neurological wiring changes, the frontal um although the neural cortex is offline, which is where we control rational and uh, rational thinking and consequences. Mm-hmm. So there's no consequences. So just I just wanted, to do, like I've got a physical addiction. It's like if you held someone underwater, they're just going to clamber to get to the top because they need oxygen Mm -hmm. and so I would just I would climb out of windows I had bottles hidden under the bed you know I had little bottles that would go in my handbag you know and then I was I'd pull myself out of it and then and it was just going in this cycle but as the cycle perpetuated the shame got deeper Mm -hmm. of like I could potentially move like lose the man that I love and you know who am I I'm not the person that I pretend to be with the in the world and I need to sort this out on my own and I can't and I was so I was so driven to determine and self-reliant and I looked at AI and all these other things I was like that's fine for you losers but it doesn't work for me Mm -hmm. you know and I was really I was arrogant um and I wasn't really willing to have a good hard look at myself so there were lots of positives because I was beaten but like absolutely beaten into submission by the time that I was ready to get clean, which was, you know, as we discussed in um, a recent podcast, that phoenix rising. Like Mm -hmm. sometimes the universe nudges me, and I'm like, yeah, whatever. You know, I need (laughs) to be slapped, (laughs) slapped, knocked over (laughs) on the floor, broken vodka (laughs) bottles surrounding me. You know, but then and then, but then it really is. It makes me question what is the meaning of life. Who do I want to be? How do I want to show up in every moment? Like, what is what is the whole purpose of life? Who do I want to be? Who do I want to love? So it gets super intentional and super clear. And, and this is what I talk about with, you know, in some of my re- recovery coaching as well is like I didn't build a life where I just don't drink. I build a mm-hmm. life that I don't want to escape from anymore. And a lot, we all as humans, as humans we have craving minds. We all do. And I know a lot of people who never got deep into addiction um, who just numb, numb and distract. And but life isn't rich and full and meaningful and juicy and like they're communicating because they've got these masks up. And that's not my life. That's not my story because it got so bad, you know. And to recover a bigger story, a combination of things: um, humility, understanding, working on complex trauma. um, it, It was it was a full mind, body, spirit approach. Changing my situation, changing my circumstances. Um, you know, it really was a lot. And, and to comment on on your, your story, you know, you had your experiences in addiction and determination got you out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I admire and respect what you what you said. And you you found that, and I, I remember the, the story very clearly. You had this this moment, this epiphany, when you were like, yep. "I have control." And so, for me, there was that clarity and there was that control. But I would define it differently as it was a surrender to, and not surrender mm. to. Oh, I give up. I just can't do this. Mm-hmm. It was a surrender to letting go, to, uh, letting go, and letting the universe step in. Not Kylie on a mission doing stuff like it was. So like you know, like the conversation, the sunset, the mo- whatever that moment is for us that is the catalyst for fundamental change. Mm. For me, it was a. It was certainly determination to, and I was looking around a, a recovery group the other day and I was like, you know what? Like, some of the reasons that people do recover and it's, it's definitely determination because it's fucking hard work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's easy to numb and dumb and distract and, yes. and be a victim. And, you know, and there's so many mechanisms in today's society to do that. Yeah. But to be, to be, to stay clear, to stay sober, to stay honest, to own your shit you know, that's hard work. So, yeah, that's where the determination and discipline definitely comes in. But for me, the pivotal turning moment was also a surrender. And that's something that in my life I'd need to practice and I try to practice more. And that is that letting go, trusting, you know, trusting in the Instagram algorithm that, you know, yeah. we would meet and share <laughs> our joint messages, you know. Yeah. So yeah. what I mean, that's, it's, that's different for everyone. And I think recovery from, and as I said, there's, you can recover from uh, a, you, you know, a, using and abusing a, a substance or a process, and then you can also recover from, from deep addiction. And they're, they're slightly different processes, but um, recovery for me is still a beautiful process, you know, whatever it is you're putting down.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we live in this incredibly avoidant society that perpetuates mm-hmm. avoidant behaviours and patterns and, you know, I look at, you know, I do a lot of work with women and women's work in the world, and I often think, well, we're born into a patriarchal society, so we've got something against us already that we've got to, got to mm-hmm. fight against. We're inherently aware that we're here to birth children, which is an obstacle to overcome in order to experience the greatest love that we'll ever know. So there's this mm. driving and driving force inside many of us that is like, okay, I know the journey ahead of me might be hard, but I also want what's on the other side. And not that I, I by no means ever want to, you know, shame or blame men, but we live in a patriarchal society that allows them often to have an easier path and to just say, oh, that's a bit tough. I'm just, I'm going to avoid that with this. And I remember one of the Mm. first occasions that I had of falling in love outside of my 12 year marriage. And they Mm. definitely were battling with addiction. I say they, because he was actually married, but what I saw mm. is that whenever there was a trigger present, the response was to have a drink. I was like, I don't like mm. that feeling. I need, even if it's eight o'clock in the morning, I'm going to have a drink so that I don't have to feel that trigger towards yeah. my wife or partner who, or whoever, whatever it was, business, money, mm. children, you know, society, yeah. life. And I thought to myself, oh my God, that how much does that hinder our ability to grow because in fact it's the triggers and the difficulty Absolutely. and the adversity that gives us something it's a law of physics you know in order to get strong mm. we need resistance like we develop our muscles by going to the gym and lifting weights and it's Absolutely. weirdly the thing that beautiful book recently it's, it's the pain yeah pain is necessary for growth on
1: every yeah physics look at biology you know neurology it really it is pain is necessary and when we try and live this super comfortable
0: life that we're not going to feel anything there's no growth it's like yeah uh, (laughs) and no reward so we're just pain averse people no no real world Exactly. So it's like, and this it, is where a level of depression and anxiety comes in with that
1: complacency. You numb, dumb, and distract all these things. You never put yourself in pain. there's a feeling that's uncomfortable, so you eat through it, or you distract with it, or you don't mm-hmm. face it. And and then what we have is really high rates of anxiety, depression, and suicide.
0: Yeah, it's, it's crazy. really that simple. And something yeah. else that I really notice is that addiction becomes obvious in your life when the Mm. mechanics that you've set up to get your needs met are no longer available to you. If they're available to you and you've got the money to be doing coke all weekend, or if you can be having a drink in a social setting or a work-related setting and it's socially acceptable, you may not even realise, or you probably do and you're in denial of it, that there's a problem under here. I'm just going to set up my external environment so I can keep feeding the problem and I can look like I'm fine. And then something happens and that source gets taken away from you and all oh, sudden, honey, you were so, you were
1: so, so bang on in so many <laughs> respects. And there's an area that I'm diving into really deeply at the moment, and it's around the high functioning or high performance addict, mm-hmm. and exactly to that point. So also some of the same characteristics, one that make amazing, passionate yes. leaders like you yes. and I. Not, I'm not surprised at all. Addiction's part of your story. <laughs> I've guessed to guess it, you know. But um, and I love like people who've had, um, you know. Uh people who've, who've, who've have been through that experience have the scars and, and have learned from it, but it normally is the intelligent, the creative, the sensitive, um, the people that have these experiences and, and mm-hmm. overcome them. And not to judge anyone who hasn't overcome it because you know addiction is a chronic lifelong thing and it can relapse and show up in lots of different ways. But the um with the high performance out al- um alcoholic or addict which is not dissimilar from the high-performing leader that, you know, they mm-hmm. share these similar traits. But the further you move up the chain, the more you can set uh, you can set self around. So if you're in Bali, you've got Pembantu, you know, somewhere else. If you're an expat, you've got a maid.
0: Mm-hmm. You've got somebody
1: else who manages your calendar. You've got um, you need to have drink for work. There's golfing weekends. People mm-hmm. unwittingly, people look back on their life actually when that gets over and they're like, oh, my God, I designed my whole life around drinking and drugs I Mm -hmm. only went on holidays the places that Mm -hmm. I could do it and you can just set it or you can set it or you can set up your whole life and you can set up your circle so that like even when I was partying I remember my sister so I was abusing drugs and alcohol before it got really bad my sister was like you've got a problem There's something wrong and my peer group we're like all pulling all nighters. I was like, no, I don't, not compared to these guys. And we're also all smashing it out of the park at work. Mm-hmm. So it was like, it was okay. But well, it was, you know, those the the way it looked allowed for levels of denial.
0: Yes, exactly. And yeah. if you're not experiencing the negative consequences of what that addiction is then you can carry on. A, you're numbing your pain, as we said, and B, there's no negative consequences. I might be performing better at work because I take Coke or smoke ice, or I might be better in social environments and close more deals because I'm lubricated with alcohol, or I might have a better place in society because I'm spending my money in a way that makes me look more affluent. Like- Totally And you know what care. and it and actually and it actually works. Like there's there's reasons like when you go through recovery, you're like, you know, what does it
1: give me? What do drugs and alcohol give me? Well, they relieve social anxiety, they do this or this. Ultimately, drugs and alcohol are um, you know they're uppers and downers. They're, they're they're medicine. Mm-hmm. But there's there is a point when you cross over into addiction where the consequences are bigger than than the payoffs. Yes. And people still lie to themselves when after they reach that point. Yeah yeah and you know so, i don't so identify. it may look good on the outside but they're in deep depression in during the week or monday to thursday you know monday mm-hmm. to thursday and then hello yeah. <laughs> <Bug> person.
0: <laughs> yeah, i no longer actually identify as an addict uh, uh, an important mm-hmm. part of my recovery is to not hold that as a part of my identity it's definitely who mm-hmm. i've been and where i've come from and by no means like i recognize that i'm a very unique person in a very unique case and i'm not my path isn't the path for anyone else, and that for people who do go through a twelve-step program, holding on to that identity is part of their ability to stay in recovery. So, I'm not judging or shaming anyone else that, you know, still holds that identity as part of their recovery. But I knew for me, I couldn't keep saying that about myself, and so I really looked into it. Like, what, in does, it... Yep. what does? It no, sorry, to what be an oh. Yeah. What does? Sorry, sorry. Yeah. I'll just close this loop, and then I'll let you talk. Yeah, <laughs> <on>. yeah please <laughs> get do. Yeah. It. So I listen to what does it mean mm-hmm. to be an addict? And an addict mm-hmm. is someone in the ruthless pursuit. The ruthless pursuit is essentially the core of an addict. So I'm like, okay, I have this ability inside me to be in the ruthless pursuit. So what do I wish to apply that to? Because that quality, mm-hmm. like we said, is a part of us that also makes us mm-hmm. overachieve And so mm-hmm. what is the thing that I'm in the ruthless pursuit of? And I'm like, it's my own evolution and growth. I realized that this quality inside of me when it's acting in its shadow aspects is causing destruction in my life, helping me avoid Mm -hmm. my own pain, my growth. Mm -hmm. But if I look at it in the light shadow, it's the part of me that has allowed me to relentlessly chase my own growth. So I simply applied it in a different Mm -hmm. way. And I shared on your podcast, Like I get a kick out of overcoming anything Mm. that is a vice in my life. Like Mm -hmm. if there's something that looks like it remotely has an addictive quality over me, I'm like, fucking watch me be bigger and better than you. So it's almost like taking that quality, not denying it or shaming it or shutting it down, but saying I chose to have this as part of my character and part of my life experience. My soul has come here on this path for this purpose. How can I utilise that for something that's going to support me? Or like why was it misguided in the first place? And I think my life is entirely about following spirit and and being so connected to that higher force in my life that's guiding me and directing me Mm -hmm. and and living in that state of total trust and surrender and following the guidance, that is the quality that allows me to do that so well. So I've simply taken Mm -hmm. this thing from the shadow and put it in the Mm -hmm. light and been like, carry me forward in an addict, help Mm -hmm. me fucking smash through this life experience and create what I want. Absolutely, I I absolutely love that. And they look,
1: I walk a fine line here because there's, um, you know, I I am a member of twelve step programs as well, um, but I I believe they they are helpful in some respects, and there are aspects of them that um, that I don't agree with. That I am an addict or an alcoholic, I am is a very powerful statement. Um, I learned very early on in my studies in mental health that you know, you're not defined by by a disease. That person has schizophrenia. They're not schizophrenic. So, um, you know, so I will identify that, you know, alcoholism is part of my story. I'm in recovery from alcoholism. And I am in recovery because I understand how the brain works. I've built new neural pathways. But that, that one's still there. So you know, if I still pick up a drink or drug, I could be back there. So I do need to be yes. hyper vigilant. Yes. And I know about the, I know about that particular instance because I've fucking gone out there and tested it. Mm-hmm. You know, so I know that that's true for me. And that, that said, it's true for me and not true for anyone. So the um, whether someone says I am or I'm I suffered from or I am in recovery from whatever lands, to, I think whatever lands for that person to feel empowered and strong in the healing yes. journey is Agreed. right for them and it's and and also to your point like i think the journey of recovery and the journey of healing is um yeah is coming back to like our wholeness our essence our preciousness all of us the darkness and the and the light and that means all those elements That like, like sneaky kylie who like who like climbs out of the window to go and steal vodka you know what mm. I'm still sneaky Kylie but I'm going to use mm. sneaky Kylie in other respects you know mm-hmm. so yeah it's a, and I love how you put that it's just those it's still those little elements it's embracing all aspects of self but it's how you use that element in a light and for the good and and like in the work that you're doing in, in service of others as well
0: yes and to consciously choose not let sneaky yes. Kylie take the rein and we're like trying to block it out, pretend it's not happening, keeping it in the dark, but actually saying, No, this isn't time for sneaky Kylie. I'm going to choose to be mm. honest Kylie or like vulnerable Kylie or whatever it might be. And then, do you know what? We're going to go and play and we're going to go like, oh. now sneaky Kylie, it's the time. Or like, Oh, it's my best. Now she's going to be mischievous. Yeah, it's yeah. my best. Yeah. I'm going to sn- set up this huge surprise. It's going to just like blow her out of the water. And I've got to be sneaky about it. Like, that very quality of sneaky yeah. is not inherently bad. But you said something else earlier that I really want to speak to as well, that it Mm. just mirrors my own Mm. life story so perfectly. I built a life I didn't want to escape from. I think Mm. when, like, so I've known God my whole life. I was born into this atheist family, Mm. three generations of scientists. Mm. God was a bad word. We're here to be academic. Like, we're here to study science. That's all that matters. And I was like, I want to be a nun. Can someone take me to Sunday school? I want to go (laughs) I want to go live in a convent. Mm. Like that wasn't an external influence. That was just this inner calling inside me, begging Mm. someone to take me to Sunday Mm. school. So I believe that my Mm. soul came in with this very strong connection to God, but I was put in this environment where that wasn't supported or nurtured or, um, eh, you know, developed. And Mm -hmm. as I went out and started taking drugs, I felt this state of euphoria and peace and joy Mm -hmm. and connectedness and love and then I'd come down and I'd be like insecure and in pain and lonely and lost. So every weekend and then it turned into every fucking day, like the joy mm. that was awaiting me by knowing that I was about to get high mm. was this motivating factor. And then mm. uh, I had the come to Jesus moment, which I, like, it's got mm. nothing to do with Jesus actually, but we all have this come to Jesus <laughs> moment, you know, this exactly, awakening, exactly. breakdown, breakthrough, whatever it might be. So. I have my Mm -hmm. moment, I turn my life around, I carry on with my life for the next Mm -hmm. 10 years without really going anywhere near drugs. And then Mm -hmm. I was in Europe a couple of years ago and I met this guy and he's a Mm -hmm. heart surgeon. And, like, when I look at you, I can see that you're an ectomorph. You're very lean, you've got a long, lean face. Mm -hmm. So epigenetically Mm -hmm. all ectomorphs have similar kind of brain functionings and you're very, very Mm -hmm. sensitive to dopamine, which is why we see addiction Mm -hmm. most prominently in ectomorph body types. And that's why we see ectomorph body types in similar jobs, surgeons, uh, athletes, entrepreneurs, lawyers, like those kind of roles require a certain type Mm -hmm. of brain and that kind of brain is Mm -hmm. commonly found in your body type. So I started dating this guy that's a heart surgeon, so he's an ectomorph, and he was very uptight and stiff and conservative Mm -hmm. and very concerned about what people thought of him and the family he came from and his job Mm -hmm. and his industry and his reputation, all totally acceptable and predictable for his Mm -hmm. body type. Um, so mm. he liked to take drugs to help him soften and open on the weekend. And he okay. said, do a line of coke with me. And I'm like, no, I'm all good. I don't go near that stuff anymore. Like, I'm fine, you yeah, know, yeah. I'm so open, I'm so confident and happy. Mm. And mm. then he just kept saying, No, come do a line. And at some point I thought, oh fuck it, why not? Erin, you're here for the full spectrum experience <laughs> of life. So I did this line of coke and I just went Vroom. and I came down and I felt trapped in my body, and I was like, oh my god, this sucks. So the next weekend we went to London for a weekend together mm. and the same thing, you brought MDMA. And he's like, have some MDMA. And I was like, mm. no, I'm good. I don't need that stuff. I'm fine, I'm fine. And mm. at some point I was like, oh, why not? You've got nothing to lose. And again, the same experience. I came down and I thought to myself, mm. oh, my God, this is what I've been able to do in my life. When my vibration was low, when my life experience was this dense, heavy, unhappy, unsatisfied, disconnected experience, Drugs would elevate me to a place that I couldn't reach on my own. But then as I developed Mm -hmm. my own life to a place where I feel satisfied, where I love myself, where I'm connected with nature, where I'm living in alignment with who I am, then I'm Mm -hmm. at a more elevated state than the drugs and the drugs bring me down. And so after that, I was like, I don't Mm -hmm. need these drugs. Like I can experience such open heartedness through my connection with the divine and I can draw other people into that experience as if we're on drugs. And we can be sitting there with our eyes rolling and our jaws going funny and all the same symptoms mm. of being on drugs, but we're just mm. high on connection and love and joy. And that's when I was like, oh, my God, I don't need the MDMA. I am the MDMA. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Doing. If you are like, yeah, I love it. But for addicts
1: chasing chasing the high, well, when you're in post acute withdrawal, you can't get that. And then even like, sorry, sorry, sorry acute withdrawal, and then post acute withdrawal. If you are in that cycle of getting out of yourself, getting dopamine hits through television, sex, uh, media, you know, drugs, alcohol, you get into this pattern of seeking the dopamine. Bit of a low and then a high when you get it and then a bigger low and it's this it's this constant cycle that you actually need to get out of completely to for the GABA and the glupamine in your brain to to level and also uh the the serotonin and dopamine to be able mm-hmm. to get you know, find the joy and the bliss and the wonder like a small child yes. you know it's like oh look at this yeah oh, cool, awesome <laughs> you know like exactly. you, but if you if you're numbing and dumbing and distracting you and you're chasing your you're on this kind of dopamine fuels like um runway uh super highway mm-hmm. you um
0: you don't you get you don't get all of that like you yeah. you know it's it's not available to you and i look at so much of our society where i believe what's normal is not natural you know, we're accustomed, like we can speak for our Australian upbringings, to be working to the point of anxiety, living in high density inner city areas. Like I remember one girl who came on a trip with us to Africa when my ex-partner and I used to run a charity. Uh, my ex-partner still does run that charity, but we would take these charity groups. And she was like, oh, I don't like birds. And I was like, oh, what? Like it was so foreign to me. And she's like, I don't yeah. like nature. She was very, very anxious. She lived in an apartment block. She'd walk on concrete. She'd go to work in an apartment block. Nature was so foreign to her or she'd been so adapted to that kind of inner city high-stress lifestyle Mm. that nature was split. And I thought, gosh, we've come so far from our roots of what we actually need as an organism to thrive Mm. and and what we should be experiencing from our life experience, which is connection, which is something that we're all robbed of as well, you know, especially Mm. like these years of lockdown and what we're going through on the planet, the technological age that's taking us away from human interaction and putting us back onto devices. We're disconnected from the rhythms and cycles of nature because we have these modern things that make us, you know, like you... There's kid i remember uh jamie oliver was doing this thing in england with kids and they didn't know where their food came from and they didn't understand that a chicken nugget came from an animal or that a cucumber came from a tree or like he was helping them track the roots of what it is that they're eating and why they're eating it so modern life doesn't set us up for a natural life and then therefore what becomes normal is not natural so We do look to these artificial sources for the thing that we're seeking. I really, truly believe that inside all of us is the knowing that we can feel that loving, that connected, that successful, that significant, whatever it is that we think that the addiction is giving us is actually this calling mm-hmm. inside of us that we're meant to have that, and we can have that, and it doesn't need to come totally. To and those, and it's actually and it's actually robbing it's yeah it's robbing us. And it, and I will say that yeah, it's
1: particularly tough when we've got you know the genetically engineered um, mm-hmm. substances like fentanyl lollipops and things like that are like a, you know I, would, I don't know the exact stats, but you know something like ten times more uh, addictive than um, than standard heroin. You know, mm-hmm. and you've got and like the what the the old opium poppy that's that's nothing compared to the shit you can get in a pill these days. <laughs> like really, we've got and even sugar and even you know the bliss point in food with the saturated fat mm-hmm. and the sugar. There are all these like tribesmen would risk their life to to um, climb into a hive to get honey because mm-hmm. they knew the nutritional density was so rich it would keep them alive. So our wow. brain that hasn't had an upgrade since mm-hmm. we were we were walking since we we're cave people, um, still like it, when it gets these substances that are so much more powerful and potent in terms of the dopamine they release into our systems, we can become a bit of a victim to it. That said, all I'm saying is there are extra challenges. Really, the the idea of the, there's some schools of thinking to go back to one of your points before that the the opposite of addiction is not sobriety the opposite of addiction is connection yeah because so yes there's all these addictive substances so let's be let's go like wow we're really challenged there's all these things out here that are designed to you know mm-hmm. to to keep us entranced in, in but there is also when we come back to our core our you know, compassion our wisdom our inner knowing then um like if we can get in touch with that, in touch through nature, through meditation, through whatever ways that we can connect to our pure essence, you know, we will understand quite quickly that these external elements only take us away from bliss. Mm -hmm. And we might get momentary pleasure or a momentary high, but we're swapping that for inner contentment and joy and that feeling of belonging you know because we do all this other stuff like we've talked about like the cool group and stuff you know mm. we behave we behave in a certain way so that we fit in so that people love us so we can feel like we belong but really we just want to be our authentic selves exactly as we are and people to love us just like we are and then we belong exactly. you know and it's, it's very different and addiction's a bit like that too we're just you know we're externally seeking to try and make ourselves feel better to feel this, yeah. someone say, God-shaped hole, you yeah. know. But but then when we, if we're conscious and intentional and mindful and understand, you know, what is going on? What is going on for me that I'm, like, chasing this stuff to try and feel okay? Ooh, mm. Okay, I'm not okay. What's going on? Mm-hmm. Exactly. But you've got to have the guts to ask yourself those questions too. <laughs> exactly. And some
0: things have got to get shit enough to ask yourself those questions. Exactly we're just going to take a quick break in the episode here to share some love for our amazing sponsor, Mave. Pleasure is good for you. Unleash and expand your self-pleasure or explore fresh partner intimacy with Mave. Mave is your elegant guided pleasure app with a continuously growing audio library of erotic stories, guided sessions, and soundscapes created by top-notch creative writers, sex and relationship therapists, poets, and orgasmic life experts and brought to life by the most sultry voices and soundscapes. Give yourself or a lucky one the gift of pleasure and use the code ERIN20 to get 20% off your subscription. Details can be found in the show notes or head to withmave.com. Now let's jump back into the episode. Exactly. So you're probably (laughs) something else there as well, talking about the fact that we haven't had an upgrade Mm. since caveman days is that my mm-hmm. body type, or anyone that is an endomorph or has endomorphia, which is the ability to gain weight easily, we mm-hmm. are actually designed to thrive in caveman days where our body is designed to conserve and will build muscle and fat very, very easily because mm-hmm. our job is to take mm-hmm. care of the tribe. We are full mm-hmm. of nurturing hormones that make us very family oriented, tribe, children oriented. Mm-hmm. But our bodies were also designed to endure long periods of time without food, whereas your body type Mm -hmm. historically would Mm -hmm. drop straight away if you didn't have those resources. Mm -hmm. You don't have the physical Mm -hmm. capacity because Mm -hmm. you guys were designed to use your brain in a more powerful way. So all of the energy is stored Mm -hmm. up in your brain. And if you're not getting the energy from that, like if your body gets cold, for example, because you don't have much of a fat layer, it's going to drain energy away from the brain, Mm -hmm. which is not good because that's what you're here for. So we look at our fat bodies Mm -hmm. And the modern day age is the first age that we've had resources in excess. So historically, mm. our bodies were favored yes. because they're like fertility, oh, longevity, like goddess mm. curves, and like it was all glorified mm-hmm. for a woman to be fat. Mm. And now mm. they're disgusted by our fatness. Modern day life is like, oh, we all want to be thin because now excess mm. is not. It, it's not what it used to be it doesn't represent longevity it's considered to be lazy or whatever it might be but if you think about our genetics mm. and this primal brain that we have we were not we're built for um immediate gratification you know our body's like oh quick there's re- food resources grab it store it we need mm. that especially if we're under stress if endomorphs experience stress the body naturally goes into conservation mode that's like Give me more reserves so that I know I can take care of others because if Armageddon is Mm -hmm. coming, I'm going to care about everyone else at the expense Mm -hmm. of myself. So modern day Mm -hmm. life is the very opposite of what our bodies need. (laughs) It's -hmm. like fast food on every single corner, immediate gratification everywhere you turn, messages from marketing that's just bombarding us. And then we're just doing what our bodies and our brains were designed to do to take care of us and our families. And then society says you're fat and you're disgusting and you're undesirable as a woman. And that's where that food addiction can really come into it. Because if we're stressed, using food for bodies like this is actually a very wise
1: Anti stress Mm.
0: strategy if it's done with full consciousness, but it's not. It's done with hiding and with shame and going through the drive through and eating the food so you can throw the rubbish in the street so no one finds the trash. Or you like eat the chocolate in the cupboard and then put it in the pockets of your winter coat hanging in your cupboard so that no one knows that you ate the chocolate. Mm. Like, you know, everyone (laughs) I speak to with this body type will relate to Mm. that. Your body type, as you said, Mm. with your eating disorder, is not about excess, Mm. it's about withholding and eating less and less Mm. because you guys actually are are very driven by that so i can see and so the third body type which we haven't discussed is the mesomorphy which are the shorter Mm. people on the planet more muscular people they don't have impulse control because they're not meant to for their purpose for society is to innovate and to be creative and to break down the box and to do new wild things like they're the ones that mm-hmm. would have bought off the saber-toothed tiger without thinking for all of us they just mm-hmm. would have jumped at it to <laughs> to fight. so when they're put they can be adrenaline addicts more than anything you know mm-hmm. they want the hit yeah. that's going to give them the thrill and make them feel alive and you know, society. Yeah, it's like how
1: the people go through the different drugs, or some yes. people. are like,
0: it's like, yeah, they're like,
1: oh no, it's like he- heroin, and other people it has to be an upper. Yes. It's, it's so there's this different drive yes. to what to get, like getting high. Like for me, the idea of something like marijuana, I'm like the, you know, like yeah, we're yes. all so different, but, but but we can still seek to get out of ourselves, you know, Absolutely. through some other substance. And yeah. I
0: think that compassion for ourselves is is key is to say okay I can see why I made these choices I can see where these choices helped me and I'm going to love and forgive myself for those choices Mm. and from that place of loving myself make better choices in the future but if we continue to hate ourselves and perpetuate the shame and the judgment and think that we can hate ourselves out of an addiction it's just never going to happen it's never, never, never ever, ever works. The
1: shame spiral, the shame that binds us, that keeps us mm-hmm. there. So guilt yeah. is I am bad. You know, I, I did bad. Shame is I am bad. And while, and also while we're in shame and, you know, we keep doing what we perceive to be shameful things, the shame grows, mm-hmm. you know, as we do it in hiding. And yeah, then we get really, really stuck. It's, it's, it's hard for someone, in, especially deep into addiction, to think that they need to be accepting and loving and whole of themselves because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, they're like, how can I love someone who's hurt other people that 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 um, that I love, and you know, done this to my body or mm-hmm. or my brain or jeopardized my life in this way or been so um, inauthentic? Whatever it is that the individual is shaming themselves for, it's hard to understand that. But I mean, the, I think the, one of the shortcuts to that is like, think about if it, if it was a it was a best friend, you know, a best friend would just like, don't be such a fuck up. Like honestly, mm. get your shit together. You'd be like, mm. love, you've had a hard time. I love mm. you. We're going to get through this. We're going to be good. Yeah, yeah, you know what? You did make some bad decisions. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't your best, but that's yeah. okay. What do we learn from that? You yeah. know, like how can we become our own cheerleaders and not shame ourselves? And yeah, um, yeah, but we we there has to be the healing is in essence about finding a way out of that shame.
0: Yeah. And my little. can't heal there. Yeah. Yeah. My thought experiment to get out of that place is I ask myself, okay, if I had the perfect life growing up, if I was born into the family that could perfectly meet my needs and provide the right amount of love and the right amount of challenge to help me grow and that made me feel inherently safe and loved and accepted, would I, who would I be if I got that opportunity? Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, I might have made different decisions. Or if you were put into a different family or that person from the perfect, genuinely perfect environment Mm -hmm. was then put into a place of hardship where there was neglect or abandonment or abuse, the outcomes would be different, the choices would be different. So we can give Mm -hmm. ourselves compassion and say things have happened in our life beyond our control and Mm -hmm. those things lead to these choices. Like you said to me when I was on your podcast, what when I told you about the traumas that i have been through as a child, having addiction in my family line, you gave me a statistic of the likelihood of me being a drug user.
1: Yeah, well, actually the, an intravenous drug user, just uh, mm-hmm. under 5,000, it's like a 4,900% um, uh, chance that you'll be an intravenous drug user if you've had a certain amount of significant childhood traumas
0: which is just outrageous, you yeah, know? Like I was saying, it's not fifteen percent, twenty
1: percent, fifty, or two hundred. It's nearly five thousand.
0: It's crazy. Yeah, so it's how like could a we? Needle then be in saying, your arm, you know? I'm a failure. Yeah. I no, the fact that I didn't take <laughs> intravenous drugs when mm-hmm. I had a 5,000% chance that I would said that I'm fucking amazing. And if my, yeah. if I got to the point that I was taking ice and didn't go further, that's amazing. <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. not a bad thing. And yeah. like, you know, they call it white collar trauma, the kind of traumas that you have been subjected to in a certain level of mind as well. It's like stuff that we don't realize is under the surface of the perfect family where there might be these huge expectations to perform, mm-hmm. but some sense of emotional neglect or there's a huge so much, of your exactly. self-worth there's, based on your performance or keeping the family's whole, name, you know. Totally. It can look shiny
1: from the outside, but there's there's also there's the things that happen and there's the things that don't happen. So we had the core emotional needs as a child if they're not met, if you're not learnt to be vulnerable and invulnerable, you know, to, to give love and receive love. Mm-hmm. So these, like, you know, perfect-looking families on the outside that, yeah, yeah you're perfect if you get ninety, if you get 100% on a chest, if not, you know you're a bit of a fuck up exactly. But those those things are very 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 damaging and yeah. also the the society that we that we grow up in like in tribal times you were raised by the whole you all the elders and you know the the wise people who had raised many children before they all came together to right, to raise raise a child but yet we're mm. in these families where there's this trauma from you know two generations down and people are doing it kind of doing it on their own or with one other and i mean there's so many complexities to why you know the, the current generations have so much trauma but there really is there's so much that happens in those so much that happens and so much that doesn't happen in those fundamental years when the um the circuitry is being set in our mind when we understand who we are in the world you know our importance our worthiness our lovability and we make yeah. our little psyche makes these decisions on those
0: yeah and then we and go into
1: the world as an adult
0: feeling exactly. like we're not worthy of love And my Mm -hmm. counsellor was teaching me from a system called Bowen Family Theory, Bowen Family System Theory, and we had to draw Mm -hmm. the family tree up on the whiteboard for generations. So my brother and I, siblings Mm -hmm. and cousins, any children of those, Mm -hmm. our parents and aunties and uncles, and then our grandparents. And then you have to look at it and say, where is their addiction? Where is their affairs? Where is their mental illness? All these symptoms of misguided anxiety in the family system that's being perpetuated where is there a child that died that was never here that nobody ever spoke about there's all this stuff yes yes exactly where is there abandonment deaths yeah should it be a scientist and your only value comes if you are here to do science like Mm. there's just so many late like To have a look at a family system like that is really overwhelming. And then you say, We're born into this and we're carrying this in our genetics. We can see it and scientifically. Epigenetics. There's nothing woo woo about this shit. Yeah. 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 So I think all of that just points to a great argument for how much compassion we can have for self and to recognize like we are the ones with the level of consciousness and the motivation to change people are only listening Mm. to this podcast because they have that inherent motivation to improve themselves this is a podcast that's all about Mm self-improvement of any Mm -hmm. kind of sort so I know like we're the ones with the power to change we're the ones that like Mm -hmm. I have this thing in my astrological chart I've got Pluto in the eighth house and that is specifically called the curse breaker now I can tell you Mm -hmm. (laughs) when I drew that whole family tree I'm the only one living my life in this way I'm the only one that's Gotten out of the place of which I was born Uh and and pursued my dreams and broken these family sites. As far as I'm aware, I'm the only one on that board that's living in the way that I am. And I'm like, yeah, I am here to fucking break that curse but i feel you know, like yeah. the the the, they There probably are and,
1: and actually i have a somewhat similar story so i did the family chart i think it might be based on the same systems with a beautiful mm-hmm. buddhist therapist and when we looked up so my parents were perfect and they're gorgeous fucking humans gorgeous gorgeous but they were carrying a lot of their own stuff mm-hmm. and we looked at all the stuff that came up from from the different lines and we we worked out it's like i'm the squeaky wheel Exactly. Everybody else is pretending okay. like nothing, like everything's okay, yeah. we got it under control. Yep. And I'm the one that's like, no, there's a problem. Exactly. Same. It's not I'm the okay. sensitive one. I'm the one that's <laughs> like,
0: don't avoid this, don't shut down, don't yes. ignore me. We're no. talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> so in Bowen family systems theory, <laughs> so tongue twisting. Yeah, yeah. If there mm. is an addiction, if there is a symptom mm. in the child, they don't mm. look at the child as the cause mm. of the problem, they immediately look at the parents. They look at the family yeah. system and they say the child is displaying a symptom of a familial problem. And so they look at these yes. like faulty dynamics and triangulation between people. And then it also mm-hmm. says if you're the motivated one, you actually have the ability to change yourself. And naturally, that's going to benefit the entire family history. system.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And like, it's at going first, to like existence. the first one is change the
0: existing. Totally, it's going to change the system
1: just as you showing up yes. um, stronger and healed and genuine and compassionate and kind. That is going to in, uh, automatically impact everybody else else around you. And then obviously, if you're if you are you know choosing to procreate, you know you've stopped the cycle. You know mm-hmm. that generational trauma ends with you. Mm-hmm. So, exactly or right. If you have a
0: parental role in other children's lives, yeah. yeah. And at first I was like, I don't want the responsibility of changing all those people. I've spent my whole life sacrificing myself for other people and not making it about me. Like, no. Mm. But I recognize (laughs) I need to get into the best place for myself and mm. that in and of itself is service. And, yes, it causes yes. destruction in family units. It really, when you decide to step away from those unhealthy boundaries, those unhealthy behaviours, mm. if you're going to start to bring attention to the things that people have been ignoring mm. or the hidden the dysfunction, mm. yes, mm. then people aren't going to like you in the family unit because you're disrupting. But ultimately your healing mm. is their healing. And mm. like you said, like my commitment is to like to create a family system for myself where secure attachment and emotional availability is the bedrock of my family unit they're the things that i think not only are they the things that i missed out on that caused me a lot of trauma and i don't Mm. want to be this reactive parent that's simply Mm -hmm. swinging the pendulum to the other side saying i'm not going to be anything like them because we're perpetuating something else like you need to Mm -hmm. transcend the pendulum (laughs) get Mm -hmm. to a place of neutrality and mm-hmm. then consciously choose if we're still holding wounding and yeah. we're resistant so in my mind as i transcend all of that family trauma that i'm carrying myself it's like what what do i want and it's secure attachment and emotion of like, emotional availability i think they are mm-hmm. and actually i heard it in gabal mate's um documentary as well it was really validating for me to hear him say oh, the, the two core needs yeah. yeah the mm-hmm. two core needs that children need are emotional attachment and what was the second one i can't even remember what he said now um something authenticity they, authenticity yeah if you, the yes because needs. they seem yeah so yep. simple like it's not it about the, money. the realness it's yeah. not about the, sending your kids to the best school it's not about giving your kids all the fucking toys or no or like making them feel like they're the best at the school no they just need to feel emotionally secure and safe with people mm-hmm. and they need authenticity and i think we as the sensitive ones are uh, super aware when there's no authenticity in the family or people are hiding or they're wearing a mask or they're avoiding and then we get labelled as the black sheep because we're the ones that are like, I'm not, I'm not playing this game. I'm not going down that path. <laughs> And you guys think I'm, you know, the rebel or the reject or whatever, but yes. actually it's, it's us that yeah. are saying authenticity is more important to me than complying with a family system. I'm going to yeah. be myself whatever the cost. And that takes a brave, yeah. courageous soul to be willing to do that
1: yeah yeah it, it really does it may, it takes a brave courageous soul but it is the ticket to a more meaningful life Absolutely. that like being true to who you are and like the richness and the depth and the relationships and, and friendships that I have because there's no like yeah. I've got a mask and you've got a mask and our yes. masks are talking to each other it's like it's heart to heart we're speaking yes. honestly you know yeah. and it's in people you know you connect and it's beautiful and you laugh and you cry and it's real and to me, that's what life's about, these deep, profound, intimate connections with with others. And it's a beautiful thing.
0: And you don't get any of that when you're pretending. Exactly. And I think we touched on another really valid point of that earlier in our conversation is like the self-responsibility that's necessary for this path. It's to be able to say, yeah, I fucked up. Yeah, this Mm. is what I'm working through at the moment. Yeah, this is where you know, I'm less than perfect and to be able to own that and not be in denial of that. And when we can love and accept those parts of ourselves, then it's easy for us to accept that in others as well. You know, to show up warts and all is not to be like, just accept me as I am. It's to say I am all of me and I'm not going to hide it and I'm not going to deny it. I'm going to sit in the discomfort when someone calls me out on it. Mm -hmm. (sighs) That's huge. To be able to do that is huge. Yeah, yeah.
1: So we've yourselves with people who will do
0: that. Exactly. Fucking yeah. good people at everything. <laughs> so we've spoken heaps <laughs> about, I guess, you know, our own personal journey with addiction and what it's like to mm-hmm. be the one with an addiction. But if someone's listening mm-hmm. and they really identify that someone that they love or care about maybe then may be an addict or they know is in fact an addict, what do you think mm-hmm. is the best things that you can do as, you know, that outsider to someone with addiction?
1: Yeah, good question. So, addiction is very complex. It's just a complex neurological condition. Um, the signs, in terms of whether they're somebody who's just abusing drugs or alcohol for a period, or whether they actually really are on that addiction spectrum, is have you know have they tried to cut down um, and not being able to. You know, have they really tried to control and not been able to? Has the tolerance increased? Need to drink more to get the same high? Has there been social consequences? So the partner telling them to stop drink has worked, telling to stop drink. So like mentally, physically, and then we get into more severe consequences like DUIs, cirrhosis of the liver, etc. But the person themselves will know if they're having difficulty turning it off and if they're reaching for you know a substance to medicate and generally people will will know within within themselves. And um I am not an advocate of the intervention because Agreed. what of what, what what happens when when people are drinking a drug into excess, they they might have a lot of shame, a lot of anxiety and an intervention just drives that. Agree. So the things, the very things they're trying to medicate is driving it. And also like we said we touched on briefly, you know, the opposite of addiction is is connection. So the best thing you can do with someone that you love is is create a safe space when then they can talk about it. Not in the days if they've just had a bender. Never those days afterwards. They they they're still there. especially if they do really have a problem, they're going to be after drinking and drugging, and they're going to be having you know anxiety and depression. So you find a time when they're feeling a bit more more balanced and say you know can we have a a conversation about something that's real and that's important to me this is what I've noticed not like you 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 this I've noticed these behaviors this is what I'm feeling this is what I'm thinking um never pointing the finger just saying this is my experience of you Mm -hmm. in a non-judgmental fashion you know and offering up do they you know are they okay do they do they want to seek help and um and you'll find that if, you know, if, if you if you reach someone at that, that time, that's how you can help them. And the message also has to be, um, I'm going to give this in two parts, that, you know, I love you, I'm not mm-hmm. leaving yes. you There's yeah. not some threat. Like if you don't stop drinking, if you don't stop drugging, you're out, mm-hmm. you know, because that's like, <gasps> okay, I've got to go drug that feeling. But mm-hmm. the, ideally the message is I love you, I'm not leaving you, but, but if the behaviour is bad but you can't do heroin in the house. You cannot drink in the house. You know, you could go away and come back and, and, you know, like so there's got to be, depending on how bad the problem is, Mm save boundaries for the person. And for anyone who wants to support somebody in addiction, I'm always available for that. I do a lot of people will be like, oh, my husband's been drinking in secret or this has been happening, how do I cope? You know, and you can introduce them to a 12-step or to a recovery coach like Mm -hmm. me or you know to a clinical psychologist it needs to be somebody who's a specialist in addiction gps don't know what they're talking about like you can get prescribed valium which is just you know another drug um yeah it's another drug and that's there may be some but there may be some gps that, that understand it but generally it really is a specialization and a very complex one so to find the space have the honest and loving compassionate conversation and ask and 101 of kind of change management as well. The, the person's got to be ready. If they're not ready mm-hmm. to surrender, it's useless. Yeah. The, stage, the stages of, yeah, the stages of change are pre-contemplation, contemplation, action, maintenance, relapse. Because it is a relapse. Right. Phase. Yeah. But if that person's not in pre-contemplation or contemplation, and then if you're maybe if you're on a relationship with them, you've got to, say do am i do i accept this or do i want to walk away yeah because until they're ready to change and surrender themselves it's not going to happen
0: yep and i can relate to that myself if anyone tried to intervene or tell me uh, no fucking way are you gonna win yeah. i am gonna find my yeah. own sneaky way to like <laughs> overcome this like they would have pushed me further <sighs> away and uh, oh, t- the most powerful people in my life were the ones that said i love you and i am here for you And they Mm -hmm. upheld those healthy boundaries. They were like, I'm not going down that hole with you. You're not dragging this shit into my life. But when you're ready, I'm here. And I think, you know, people are afraid I'm going to abandon. But you abandon yourself in trying to rescue them and perpetuating and enabling the problem. When you don't abandon yourself and you lovingly uphold your own boundaries, you're actually demonstrating for them really healthy behaviours Yes like One a of child your... they might have a little tantrum initially absolutely. but absolutely loving ourselves is the most powerful way to love them loving them with healthy boundaries
1: I'm working with somebody at the moment and it's like okay so this is some stuff that can can happen for him but but for you, and and I learned this from somebody in family therapy who had a, hu- a husband who relapsed in uh, heroin addiction. She just mm-hmm. had to go, instead of worrying about him and all the anxiety being focused on him and everyone in these circular conversations talking about him, the problem, what are they going to do? Energetically, he can feel that anxiety. She she looks outwards and builds her life, takes takes up a new support. Yeah. You know, I'm saying using she because I'm thinking about a particular example, but it yeah. also absolutely can be he. Mm-hmm. But that, that person who is struggling loving somebody who's an addict or alcoholic needs to really up, you know step up the self-care and self-love themselves
0: yeah absolutely well this has been an amazing conversation so do you want to share with people how they can find you and and what it is that you offer absolutely aren't we so good it's two it's two to twelve and we're
1: like watching the time because we've got this live in a second um so yeah how people can find me so a meaningful life by design is my uh instagram the two businesses are a meaningful life by design and from here on from here on is specifically recovery coaching and a meaningful life by design is a combination of coaching um, mindset coaching and um Yeah, so Insta and the websites and my podcast, Meaningful Life by Design, as well. Um, Yeah, they're all the places that people can find me. And I'm always open to anyone, any DMs for anyone who who needs support.
0: Great. And of course, as always, all the links are in the bio. So everyone, I hope that you've enjoyed this episode of Sex and Healing. Thank you so much for joining us. And of course, I'd love to hear from you. Come and find me via Instagram. Come and share the love. Let me know what your takeaways were, what you loved, what triggered you, what questions you have. I want to know it all. Make sure you subscribe and share this episode. And Until next time, my loves, laugh loud and fuck louder.